Amen and amen. How we doing, church? Doing good? You look great. If you got your Bibles, we're in Psalm 98. Go there. Today we're going to talk about worship. You see, every single one of us live on a continuum between gratitude and entitlement, and everything in this world pushes us over to entitlement, what I deserve, what is mine, what I want, what I need. But the scriptures point, push us to a position of gratitude, and it is what worship is rooted in, and this is the year of worship, and it's a really, really big deal, because every single one of us worships something. And what worship is, worship means that we ascribe worth to. We, we put our attention and affection towards. And every single one of us, no matter what you believe about God and about the Bible and about Jesus, we all ascribe worth and we all put our attention towards something. We all become who we worship. When the Bible talks about worship, primarily what it is talking about is our response to God for who he is and what he has done. This is the year of worship, and so I'm hoping and praying that this sermon, we're gonna talk about how we as a church are to worship. And I hope it moves the needle for our entire church on what worship is and why it's so important. Psalm 98 starts out this way. I'm gonna put it on the screen so you can help me with this second word, okay? Oh, you nailed it. Now if you just do it, we could go home right now, you understand? Now, why does the Bible talk so much about singing? It talks a lot about singing. It really does. Now, worship is way more than singing, but it's not less than singing. And we serve a God that tells us to sing. Notice this is not a request. It does not say a psalm of David. You know what? If you feel it and you kind of like the song and you're in a good mood, then why don't you hum along? It's not what it says. It's a command. Part of the reason we are to sing as a church is because our Lord tells us to sing. And when your Lord tells you to do something, you do what he says. And if you don't do what he says, then he ain't your Lord. And then he says, oh, sing, so it's a command, to the Lord, okay? So that moment where you're sitting there, you'll be like, well, I don't really like this song. Well, guess what? Just send me your feedback at jimmycrackscorn at idontcare.com because we ain't singing to you. There's so many people that have this misunderstanding of what happens in a worship service. You see, the way people think about it, completely wrong. Because you, you feel like this is, this is like, you know, America's got talent or something like that. And the way we think about it is, is we think like, like God is the director and then the people up on stage who are very talented, amen, we have very talented people at all of our campuses and they're incredible and they love Jesus and we think that they are the performers and then you out here are the audience. And, it's ab and, and then you also kind of think like you're Simon Cowell going, I don't think I would have done that one there, you know? <laughs> well, we ain't singing to you, man. We ain't singing to me either. But what we are doing is we are singing to the Lord. The right way to think about it is actually you are the performers. If there is a performer in worship, you are the performer. And the audience is God. And all of us are joining together and we are singing to an audience of one. So whether you like it or not, he said, oh, sing to him. And the people up here on the stage, they're actually the ones like conducting us so that we can get it all together and sing unto him. Amen? Yeah. And so the crazy thing, so some of you are like, hey, how come we don't have a choir? My last church had a choir. We got the biggest choir in all of Jacksonville. You're it. Just don't wear a robe because that's weird, okay? But you, at all of our locations, on different days and nights and times and states, 
all of us join together and all of our campuses sing the same songs, hear the same message, and have the same mission because we're just one church singing to the one true God. And so he says, oh, sing to the Lord. So I need you to think about this. You are the choir. And, and the Lord tunes in every time we show up together. In fact, he does even more than that. The Bible says that, that God inhabits the praises of his people. That it is a supernatural event happening here. So we'll sing to the Lord a new song. We'll talk about that in a little while. Doesn't mean what you think it means, okay? And you may ask yourself, okay, why sing? Think about this. Just in your regular world, think about all the reasons you sing. And I know some people are more apt to sing than other people kind of based on your personality. But there's a bunch of reasons that we sing. I think that the reason that singing, that music means so much to humanity is because I think it reflects the reality that we were created to live in rhythm with God. I mean, if you go back and you read Genesis chapter one and two, you will see that God created everything in rhythm. I mean, he could have just said everything and then there's everything, but that's not what he did, man. Like on the first three days, God speaks into the existence the very, the very um, environments that he's gonna fill up on days four, five, and six, and they correspond with one another. And then there's evening, and there's morning, and the next day. This is why some of you love to go and sit on the beach, and there's just something about watching the waves roll in that do, it just does something to you, right? We live in seasons. Now, not here in Jacksonville, we have two seasons. We have summer and January, but most people have four seasons. It's, it's weird, you should Google it, okay? And that, in fact, this is why a bunch of us like to go to places like North Carolina so we can feel some of the seasons. But there's something about it. We know that there's a new season coming. God gave us this heartbeat. You ever wonder why your heart beats in the rhythm that it does? Because I think it's a reflection of the, of the master artist and there is a rhythm that he has created us to live into. And they're so weird. There's something that just mere prose, like regular talking like I'm doing now, just can't get into certain nooks and crannies of your soul that things like poetry and music can. And so every tribe, tongue, and nation, regardless of what people believe, we all sing. There's something about it that is supernatural. Sometimes we sing because we celebrate, regardless of what you believe, right? We sing happy birthday. You don't just say it, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear, whatever your name is. No, you don't, man. You sing it in celebration. If you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, congratulations, you're a national champion still. And you know what we do every time we score? Like, let's say, for instance, when we scored 31 points against Alabama's 18. Every single time. Now, I don't know if you've been to a Georgia game. You would assume everybody there's a believer, but I don't think that's true, okay? But... What happens when we score is the whole, the band strikes it up and we all sing. And you know what we sing? Glory, glory to, it's a worship song. Glory, glory to old Georgia. That's what we're singing. That when we, when, when we wanna celebrate something, we sing. When we're in love, we sing. When we're in love, it's just different, man. This is why love songs matter so much to people. Because it's weird, man. And if you're not a poet, or you're not a songwriter, that's why you lean on somebody else's ability to say words that you feel and hear. This is why worship matters too. Worship is very evangelistic. And the reason why is because when we worship God, it is an expression that this is more than just a mental assent to a set of religious claims. 
It's more than that. Like, I'm just telling you, man. If you show up here and you were to sit next to me down here on the front row during worship, even if you don't believe what I believe, you would believe that I believe what I believe. Because some of you were sitting next to a crazy person today, right? Like, you were looking at him and be like, God, this guy's really into it. He's got his eyes closed. He's just over there like, we are the world, you know? And you're like, wow. He's into it. Yeah, man, he's way into it. You know why? Because he's singing to the Savior that he loves because the Savior first loved him. This is deeper than just singing along campy kind of songs. I mean, imagine if you were to roll in on a date with me and Gretchen, and we're, we're, we're huddled over in the corner, and you were to be able to eavesdrop into our conversations, you would not walk away from that date and go, these are merely two homo sapiens taking in some macronutrients for the propagation of the species. No, you'd be like, they're really into each other. It's more than you could even understand, I promise. Well. This is a part of what worship is for, for our relationship with God, because we love. Another reason we sing is to learn things. Didn't you teach your kids the alphabet by singing the ABCs? I mean, one of the best, best ways to learn things is to sing them. It, it's, people sing because it expresses a deep emotion that just mere words can't. Some people sing to send a message. You ever had a football game? And you hear, na, 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 na. No, no, you were saying something to that team via song that everybody doesn't just go, we want, that doesn't work, man. It just sends a message. Also, communities sing together because it connects that community. It may be a community of two people, right? Like you, you and your man, you got your song, you go, ooh, this is my song, my favorite song. Like Lou Bryant sings, right? Or sometimes, again, communities get together. If you ever go to a Penn State football game, all my illustrations are football, so if you're into other stuff, I don't know what to tell you, okay? But... Do you know, like Penn State, every time they sing Sweet Caroline, I don't know what it has to do with their school, but I just know they all get together and they sing this thing together. There is something supernatural. There's something planted into the heart of every human being that we're to sing. And then God says, okay, sing, but I want you to sing to me. And I want you to sing to me a new song. Now, that doesn't simply mean like, Today we sang a new song that none of us together had sung, but obviously you listen to Christian radio because a bunch of you already knew the words. That's great, okay? It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean like, hey, Michael, can you just get me a new tune with some new words every single week? Because that'd be a little tough to catch on. Actually, this phrase, new song, is all throughout the Bible. It's in Psalm 33, Psalm 40, Psalm 98, Psalm 144, Psalm 149, Isaiah 42.10, Revelation 5.9, Revelation 14.3, all right? And I say that so fast so you gotta listen to it again to get them all, all right? And there's no way you can write that down. But it doesn't simply mean like just a brand new song. First, it means like a new and fresh expression of the heart. So sometimes we sing old songs, but you can sing them in a new way because it's new to you. Like that's how we're gonna close today. But ultimately what this meant most of the time or in many cases in the scripture, when the, in Hebrew, when it says sing a new song, it was associated with a new victory of the Lord. And what would happen is in the Old Testament when they would sing, it wasn't so much like piano and guitars as much as it was. They would get together and they'd get a little beat going and they'd all chant this thing. And they would gather together as the people of Israel and they would pre-declare God's victory in this next battle before they ever went to war. And then when they went out and won the war, they would come and regather together as God's people and they would re-sing the song of victory. Now what does that have to do with us as Christians? I got really good news. I'm a professional, so I've read all the way to the end of the book. I don't know if you've made it that far yet. I have, several times. And I've got really good news. 
we win. That's right, we win. The victory is ours. The victory is out. In fact, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, the way the enemy is described is he is a dragon with a mortal head wound flailing around just waiting to die. And, and the people of God have already won the victory because when Jesus says it is finished, he didn't, he didn't say he was finished because he wasn't finished. He was put in the grave. He put death to death. He resurrected on the third day. He went to the right hand of God the Father, is praying for me and you right now, and then one day he's gonna crack heaven open and come back down with tattoos on his quads, Baptist. Check that out a little bit. Sword in his mouth, robe dipped in blood, and then he's gonna send the devil to hell forever and ever, amen, and it is finished. And right now the church is in a victory formation. That's what we're doing. Score, it's over, Bubby. We are just in a victory formation. I don't know if you want evidence of that. Go to the Georgia National Championship against Alabama. Watch the last 30 minutes. We won. So when we sing a new song, we are declaring the victory that Jesus already has. And as you know, I, I mentioned it last week, I think, this fall, we're gonna be rolling out this thing called the 1010 Life where we are fighting for the unborn, fighting from womb to tomb for the, for the sanctity of life, and we are going to pre-declare via worship the victories that God is gonna bring through our efforts for his glory. So he says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And if you were to say, okay, God, why? What should I sing about? He's like, I'm glad you asked. For, so when the, a great way to do Bible study is just to read the prepositions and see what they're for. The reason that you should sing the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. One of the reasons that you sing is because worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done. Now the way the psalmist is gonna write it, he's gonna do the what he's done first and then who he is second. This is why in that bumper video we showed you the gratitude list. Years ago, I just made this up. I don't know where I made this up. We'll give credit to Jesus because it seems like a good idea. I was just sitting in the tree stand one day, feeling sorry for myself. You ever do that? Okay, you know, which is pitiful, isn't it? You got the best life ever, even if it's terrible compared to so many other people, things are going really awesome. And I just thought to myself, oh, cupcake, it's so, it's so hard being you. And I just was like, how pitiful are you that you just wanna feel sorry for you right now? And so I just started to create a list of things to God that I was grateful for. And then it just dawned on me, I think I'm gonna write one down for every year I've been alive. And so we, I, I go over this about once a year. And you should, if you have never created your gratitude list, it will help you be a worshiper. And you should write down whatever it is. And you don't have to be super spiritual for everyone. Every time, I think people have a fake one that they show me, here's mine. And it's just like Hebrew words. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it should just be like regular stuff. The marvelous things that he has done. I'm gonna go over mine real quick. And in fact, there are things on this list that you should not put on your list. Because there are things that I see as a gift that it almost killed you. So don't put that. This is between you and the Lord. But for your sake, I'm gonna read. Okay, here we go, 48. I'll, be, I'll have to add one September 5th. I'll think about it. My salvation, that's number one. Gretchen, JP and Reagan. I added them together so I could have another slide. <laughs> number four, you. 1122. You are a remarkable people, man. Unbelievable. The transparency, authenticity, and belief in the power of the blood of Jesus expressed last week by your confession and repentance. I look at that and I'm like, man, I'm the most blessed pastor on the planet that I get to preach to you all the time. 
The fifth one is a mom and dad that loved me in their own way, even though they couldn't love each other very well. Sixth is health. Seventh is wealth, globally speaking. I mean, I, I don't have much, but as compared to the world, like running water and tennis shoes and you know, two cars and things like that, praise God. A staff team that follows and respects me. I don't, I don't ever give them enough credit. I have the greatest team around me ever, ever, ever. I do, man. The pastors, the staff, they, it's, you know them. Being American. Now, I know there's a lot of people who ain't proud to be an American right now, but I don't know what's wrong with them people. I'm proud to be an American. I love it, man. Are we perfect? Not even close. See the upside down kingdom. But of all the places to live, I want to live here. And then I took it one notch further. Being Southern. Look, man, I'm American by birth, but I'm Southern by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. When the world falls apart, I only see everybody moving to California and New York, right? Y'all moved here. Welcome. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Number 11 is the elders. We have the greatest group of faith-filled men. And, and I mean, I'm just telling you, man. I wish I had time to talk about them. Friends. Some of my friends, like Jeff and Charles and Brad. Man, I've had, I got some of the best friends on the planet. And I was told in ministry, you can't be friends with people you go to church with. I thought, that sounds like a miserable existence. That's probably why they all quit and stay in these weird homes and places. I'm gonna be friends with the people that I go to church with. A sharp mind. That's questionable, but I think it is. <laughs> I should have put humility next, but I didn't. I'm, thank, I'm, I'm grateful for Pastor Jerry and Beach UMC, for Coach Bull Lee and Camp Pine Hill, for a gift of preaching. I get to work with my friends for religious freedom, may we not take that for granted, for Mert, my grandma, for Lynn Turner, y'all don't know who that is, she's the first person that invited me to serve in student ministry. For the woods of South Georgia, praise God, man, for Dr. Bill Ross, that's the guy that hired me out of seminary, for the life and legacy of Mackenzie Wilson, a 15-year-old girl that changed lives through her story, for my in-laws, I have, I have like great in-laws, think about that. That's something to praise God. I've heard some of your crazy stories and I look at my in-laws. Now they also live in Virginia so that might be a part of it but praise God, man. <laughs> I'm grateful for modern medicine. 12 years ago, I had an appendicitis. 100 years ago, I'd be dead. You realize that? I wouldn't survive. You'd think he would, he would, I would just be a, in somebody's journal. He didn't make it, you know what I mean? <laughs> and now it's just, I mean, think about this. The things that today we call a procedure 150 years ago, they would call a miracle. Praise God for modern medicine. For Taco Tuesday. Yeah, man, praise God. I've got, and the reason I put that is because I've got family friends that are more like family, if you understand what I'm saying. I do, man. For people that consistently pray for me, for clean running water, for cool fall mornings, living in Jacksonville, praise God. For the beach, praise God. Ministry connections, good bourbon. Now some of you don't know what to do with that. Some of you shouldn't do anything with it. It'll kill you, okay? But for me, as for me and my house, it's a blessing, all right? For my neighborhood, for my wife, Gretchen, for her gift of singing and writing. She's writing for you a Devo to prepare your hearts for saturated, and it's gonna blow your hair back if you still got any. You're gonna see this. Pheasant hunting in South Dakota. Our home, my children's friends, my truck. I love my truck. My calling for grace, like the fact that it counted for me. I'm grateful for that. That God's word is so accessible. I'm grateful for an opportunity to invest in other pastors. I'm grateful for Tony Slayman. 
the guy that has done so much for our church. I'm grateful for the opportunity to impact one more generation. I'm grateful to be able to take the gospel into prisons. When I wrote this one down, that day I had baptized 67 brothers at Baker Correctional. I'm grateful for my dad's salvation, praise God. And then last year, the one I wrote down was this, man. I'm so grateful for my brother Russ. I'm so proud of him. So do you have a gratitude list? Because that that's what's at the heart of worship. Here's what happens, man. When you are given a gift by someone, it stirs in you gratitude. I know this is goofy, but these shoes right here, see these shoes? Every person on the planet has a pair like this right now. You know how I got these shoes? Our CFO, Paul Williams, gave them to me. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? I don't know a bunch of grown men giving each other presents, but one of our, one of our, our codes of conduct for our staff is that we will honor one another. That's what we do. So in our meetings, cynicism and sarcasm, we don't have place for that because the book of Romans says outdo one another with honor. And I was in a meeting and I saw Pastor Adam Flint and he had on a pair of these shoes and I was like, man, those shoes are cool. Where'd you get those shoes? And then later that day, somebody knocks on my door and Paul Williams has just got a pair of these shoes. He's like, here he goes, man. Here's what he said. He goes, I've never heard you ask for anything in all the years I've ever known you. So I went out and got these shoes for you. Now let me tell you what happens when I put these shoes on every single time. Guess what I think about? Do I think about, wow, you look cool. Of course, and shortly after that, I think, (laughs) Paul Williams gave you those shoes, man. I literally, I pray for him every single time I wear these shoes. I've never told him this, he's sitting over there. But I I, I do, I think about what grown man gives another grown man a pair of shoes that the one grown man could go out and buy if he wanted them anyway, but that's, it's just a gift that I didn't deserve and it just stirs in you gratitude. That's what worship is. And here's the thing. Everything you have, including the shoes from Paul Williams, actually is a blood-bought grace gift from Jesus Christ through Paul Williams to my feet. That's what happens, and it stirs in you worship. He says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And then he's gonna talk about the character and nature of God. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him, that your salvation was for his glory. Verse two, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. As post-resurrection believers, we understand that what the psalm writer is talking about here is Jesus. That the, the major part of what stirs our worship is that he has revealed his righteousness. That's Jesus. That we worship Jesus because he came for the nations for our salvation. So when we sing, When we have an opportunity as believers to gather together, which everybody in the world doesn't have this kind of opportunity, you realize? That's one of the reasons I'm thankful to be an American and for religious freedom. And when we get together, we need to sing like saved people. We need to, I mean, I don't know how you just sing by the line, he stood by my side and he stood in my place and not just lose your mind over it. Because this is what the psalmist is saying. I'm gonna sing a new song because the Lord made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. One commentator says it this way. The realization of every hope, the substance of all faith, the longing of all hearts, and the good of all peoples will be achieved when God brings salvation. And because of this, Psalm 98.4 summons 
all the earth to shout to him, break forth with celebration, to give a ringing cry and to sing to his glory. That's what we're doing. And then verse four, he says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Praise God, right? Listen, he doesn't say make a beautiful noise. I've heard you, man, you can't make a beautiful noise. You ain't very good at it. That's why we do it all together. Kind of drown out all the, I mean, I had somebody ask me one time, Pastor, how come every song you sing sounds like a country song? Because I'm a Jesus follower, man. You, that's what we're gonna sing in heaven. Ain't nothing but country music. All my life you have been faithful. Like that, got me? Make a jo- Worship should be joyful. Now, it's not the only emotion that exists, as we've seen all throughout the Psalms, that we always posture ourselves to worship regardless of our circumstances. That sometimes, like Psalm 22, you feel like, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you just gotta worship your way through that. But there's, there's also times when we make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. I'm just telling you, man, when we're doing the singing part of our service, I typically look around to see how the crowd's gonna be. And if you're saved, some of you need to tell your face. I'm telling you, it looks like you were weaned on a dill pickle, man, you're just like. Bro, get over you, I'm telling you. This is a full body experience, worship is. Now, here's the question I'll get sometimes. Does style matter? Short answer, nope, it doesn't. This is why around here, you know, like we're not critical of any other styles. There's all different kinds of expressions of worship. Some people old hymns, some people chant, you know, some people in whatever language and culture you're from. That's why there's different styles of worship. Which, if you're new to church, you're not even gonna believe this is a thing. But back in the day, I've been on staff at church, this year will be my 30th year on staff at church, and about 10, uh, 10 or so years ago, there was this thing in church that they called the worship wars. This is where like modern worship with like guitars and drums and stuff was kinda making its way into churches that weren't used to that. Now you Pentecostals have been doing it forever, okay? God bless your ministry, all right? But you did it with, it was like bring your own tambourine so us Baptists couldn't handle it. It was just kind of creeping into the Baptist world and the Baptists didn't know what to do with it, all right? They were afraid if somebody raised their hand in worship, they might catch the tongues and then they were, didn't know what to do, all right? So, now Catholics, you don't even know what I'm talking about, all right? You're like, I knew it was a cult, okay? So just relax, so. And they would argue about, about what God was honored more by, like hymns or do you just sing straight from, there's some churches that only sing the Psalms. That's all they sing. There's some churches that don't use any instruments, but listen, man, it doesn't matter. Style doesn't matter. It's just a reflection of the time. The old hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, that Martin Luther wrote, he took a bar tune, took the tune, and changed the words to A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Now, you tell a Baptist that, and their hair would explode, but how did he even know he was in a bar? Yeah, okay? Luther drank a lot of beer. Glory, you understand? And he, so the style, man, it could be all over the place. Here's what it makes me think of. Can you, mamas, listen, can you imagine if one kid, one of you, you had two kids, or 20, or however many, okay, and one of your kids wrote you a handwritten Mother's Day card, and then another one of your kids drew you a Mother's Day card, but it was all pictures, and then they both presented them to you, and in their presentations, they got in a fist fight with one another over which one you would like better. How honored would you be by either of the cards? Answer, not, all right? 
So our, our job is never to be critical of other styles of worship. It's just, man, God is a creative God and there's all different kind of churches and all different kind of languages and every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and it should just reflect the heart of the people that are worshiping God. And so then he's going to get into some specifics for the Jewish people several thousand years ago because here's the instruments they had. It says, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. That was a, like a funny looking guitar. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Now again, he just, he, he, God wants a grateful heart, a joyful noise. And then what's crazy is that what God is looking for, though, according to John chapter four, Jesus has this conversation with this Samaritan woman at a well, and he's trying to talk about her life, and he th- she throws a curveball as if she's gonna Jesus juke Jesus. You can't. And she's like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, your people say that we're gonna worship at that mountain, but my people say we're gonna worship at this mountain. And then in response to that, Jesus says, well, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And then look what the Father is seeking. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God's not looking for a song. God's looking for worshipers. He's not looking for a certain style of music. He's not like, nah, I really like Latin music. I don't like, you know, that's not how it's going. What he's looking for is worshipers that are worshiping in spirit. That's like sing a joyful noise, tell your face, raise your hands, do that stuff, and truth. So one thing that is very, very important when we worship God is you've got to say true things. You can't rightly love God without right thoughts about God. And let me tell you what I mean here. If I were to go home right now and write Gretchen a love song, And it started out with a beautiful melody and lyrics about her long red hair. Guess what? She ain't gonna like it. And it ain't because of my singing. It's because she ain't got red hair. And she would think, I don't think you're talking about me. And so, we take the theology of songs. In fact, we change words all the time. Because it's crazy, some of the best some of the churches with the like, best music, greatest thing, not the most theologically astute crew, I'm not gonna say who, but I just like, strike that, say this, that's, that's wrong, this is right. And so, because truth matters, man, we're gonna sing things that are true. And then the Bible gives us all kinds of instructions on worship. Not just about singing, but, but very specific instructions. And speaking of, you should put this in your calendar, July 24th, we're going to have a worship night right here at San Pablo, and it's for all ages. We're gonna have a choir, and you can come, and I hope you do all these things. Here are some of the commands in the Bible about how to worship, all right? And I hope and I pray this challenges you a little. Ready? The Bible says, shout. That was a chance, bro. There it is, you nailed it, okay? (laughs) Right, okay? But listen, man, my brother came up to me a couple weeks ago, and he was like, does my shouting mess you up? And I was like, it's a, sometimes when you go, praise God, I go, whoa, what was that, okay? <laughs> but he's like, look, man, the, the Lord, there he's getting better. I told him, get better at it. And so, but the Lord gave him a voice. We got amen, Frank. We got praise God, guy. We got some people. The Bible says, shout, all right? He says, shout, it, Psalm 32, one, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So there's sometimes we get in here, we get loud and we shout. It's what the Bible says. The Bible says, sing loud. Psalm 81.1, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. 
Now listen, man, I mean, sometimes when it's so, like you gotta open your mouth and like vocalize it loud. The Bible says hallelujah. You know, we sing songs that say hallelujah all the time. That's actually two Hebrew words that in English we have smashed together. When the word hallelujah shows up in the Bible, like in, in Psalm 150, we translate it praise the Lord. But it's literally from two Hebrew words. One is halal, and it's not, a, it's not a religious word. Halal in Hebrew means to lift up your hands, to jump up and down, to turn in circles. That's what it means. It, it, was, a, it was a word to describe a parade. And then the Bible writers would say halal, lift up your hands, jump up and down, spin around in circles, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Halal, Yahweh, halal, Yahweh, halal, Yahweh. You smash that together and you get hallelujah. That's what that word means. And so sometimes when you worship, you lift up your hands and you jump around. And, and I know the Pentecostals are like, all right, I'm bringing a banner next week, you know, and you want to be in here just, all right. <laughs> Settle down. So, but then sometimes the Bible says that we need to bow down, like in quiet reverence. Psalm 95, 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Sometimes the Bible commands us to lay down on our face before God. So if you've ever come up to pray, first of all, you gotta keep your head on a swivel. There might be somebody just laid out right there. And, and typically, you don't have to call the ambulance or anything. They're just, they're doing what the Bible says. Revelation 5.14. This is John, the fishing buddy of Jesus, gets a revelation of what worship in heaven forever is gonna be like. And it says, and the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down on their face and worshiped. Sometimes we're, we dance. You hear that, Baptist? We, the Bible commands us to dance. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing. Make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. In fact, in, um, in 2 Samuel, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he strips down to a linen ephod. That'd be the equivalent of your tidy whities And he dances around before the, before, the, before the Ark of the Covenant. And his wife gets so aggravated. Can you imagine, fellas? <laughs> his wife, come here. I got to tell you. She says, that was pretty undignified. I mean, you're the, what are people gonna think? And he's like, you think that's bad? I'm gonna get way more undignified than this, all right? So in other words, he didn't care what anybody thought because he was dancing in his tidy whities for an audience of one. Clapping, Psalm 47, one. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I've been in churches that we're not supposed to clap. Read your Bibles, man. It says that we are supposed to clap. Here's one I wanna challenge all of you on. Lift your hands. Psalm 134.2. Lift your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Do you know why you lift your hands? Sometimes you lift your hands like when you were in school if you're like, ooh, I know the answer. Anybody know the answer? You should lift your hands. Sometimes like when you had little kids, you know, mom's dad, and you'd walk up to your little kid and your little kid would be like, oh, hold me, right? If you ever, if you ever wanna reach out to your heavenly father, you lift your hands. Now a lot of 1122ers are gonna get this one. Sometimes you lift your hand because you're like, all right, you got me, all right? <laughs> that's exactly it, man. It's a sign of surrender. I'm like, all right, I give up. Yeah, we are to lift our hands. And in fact, in the New Testament, I think this is interesting, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to a pastor named Timothy, and he says this, I desire 
that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarrel. You hear that, men? Yeah, man, don't you let the women out hand lift us, all right? I'm watching, that's what we're gonna do. And then even with all that, back to your charismatics that wanna bring your own tambourines and your flags and stuff, all right? And yet we are to be orderly. We are to be orderly. That 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so we're not doing things to bring any attention to ourselves. We're doing all of these things to aim all of the attention at God, straight up, man. So if you wanna dance, pray, you can, but we're gonna do them back there in those corners here at San Pablo so I can't see you, all right, because you'll throw me off. I won't know what to do. I'll be like, dude, holy goodness, is this happening? And we ain't taking laps, we're not gonna do that. Some churches do here, we ain't gonna take laps. Keep your banners at the house. Don't bring a shofar. Okay, we got a band. All right, we're gonna be orderly. But we also want you to be free, man. We want you to be free to lift your hands, to shout, to sing loud, to sing like saved people. And here's why, here's why. Um, man, throughout, throughout COVID and the pandemic, when churches weren't meeting and all that kind of stuff, a lot of people, a lot of like church expert type people begin to kind of talk down about what we're doing, about gathering, about the, the people of God gathering together to make much of Jesus. But listen, man, this is, not, this is not an entertainment hour. This is not karaoke. It's not. It's not just getting information from me. When we get together and we make much of Jesus and we lift up our voice, there's a supernatural interaction with, with one true God that is occurring in all of our campuses every single time that we do this. Listen, can you worship God at the beach and in your truck and in an airport? You can do all those things. It's just different when the people of God get together. There is this transcendence that happens. Like when Jesus was praying on earth as it is in heaven, that's a part of what happens here, man. Because in the book of Revelation, if you get there, there's a whole lot of description about what is happening, not what will happen one day, what is happening right now in heaven. And, and there's gonna be a lot of singing in heaven. There's gonna be a lot of worship in heaven. And there is this transcendent interaction between God's people and the God of the universe when his people get together and make much of him. First and foremost, what you do is you are declaring it ain't all about me. And when we worship together, you're lifting up your eyes off of the current circumstances and you're fixing them on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And one of the things that happens when we sing, if you think about this, in most churches, the only time we're ever essentially praying the same thing is when we're singing. We're just taking our prayers and we're saying, all right, God, as a church, here's what we are praying together. And in Revelation chapter eight, verse one, there's this verse that says, for 30 minutes, God silenced heaven. And if you go on to read the rest of chapter eight, you figure out what was going on. And what was going on is that, is that the, the, the priests were lighting incense. And, and the reason that they would light incense in the temple is because when the people would come together and they would pray, God was a very tactile God. And so the priests would light incense so that the people would know it would be like a visual indicator, just as the incense is rising up into heaven, my prayers are rising up to God. And in Revelation chapter eight, and if you're not familiar with Revelation, I'm an expert, okay, trust me, ready? It's loud. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's the bloody-headed dragon, there's the four horsemen, not the wrestlers, but like the four guys that bring death. There's stars falling, there's locusts, there's plagues, there's trumpets, there's seals, not like, uh, uh, but like a seal like this, you know? 
It's loud, there's all kind of stuff, there's parades, I mean, there's a lot going on. And when he gets to chapter eight, verse one, the God of the universe goes, stop it, stop it, horse, whoa, parade, stop. Michael, put down the trumpet. Everybody, shh. Why? He says, because he's listening to the prayers of his children. That when we, as a body of believers, get together, and we sing, and we make a joyful noise, and we clap, and we lift our hands, or we bow down, or we lie face down before the king, the king of the universe, who is timeless, says, whoa, shh. I wanna hear the prayers of my people. It is supernatural. And what's crazy, it's not just us. The psalmist goes on to say, it ain't just people that do this. Verse 70 says, let the sea roar and all that fills it. You see, we worship the creator, not creation, but all of creation sings. Not only the fish, but the water in, that the fish are swimming in, they roar and all that fills us the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Here's what he's saying. You ever seen a dog hunt? If you haven't, man, you're so missing out. Okay, you gotta quit breathing all the air conditioning air. If you go out and you watch, if you watch a dog, like a well-trained dog hunt, and you watch that thing, you get this sense of, man, that's exactly what that thing was created to do. Like he just moves through the brush like you just can't. Or you see a bird fly? It's just effortless, right? Like they're just flying by. You ever in the water, like in the ocean, and something swims up, and, you do, and it goes, and it's just gone. You're like, how do you swim so fast? Because that's what fish do, man. Fish swim. And you know what we were created to do? We were created to worship and what's crazy is everything else on the planet does what they were created to do. But God's rebellious children, yeah, we get it all in our head. We get airing it. And I'm gonna tell you, man, if you don't like worship, you're gonna hate heaven. I'm just, it, <laughs> there's a lot of it. In Revelation chapter four, verse eight, here's, what it, here's the description of heaven. It says, in the four living creatures, which represent all of creation, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. So how often do they say it? They never cease to say it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then John says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, which is when? All the time it never stops. So whenever they do that, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Then the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That worship is a reminder that there is a throne, and you ain't sitting on it. And if and when you try to create your own little kingdom, it's foolishness, man. It's foolishness because the temporary things of this world will never, ever, ever satisfy. And what we were created to do is to give honor and glory to the King of Kings who sits on the throne. Amen. Worship is about our response to God for who he is and what he does. The reason I worship, all right, it's not because I'm just like a, I just like to sing. 
I don't. Like, I think one of the dumbest things on the planet is musicals. I can't get my mind around a musical. Why? Just all these rando people just dun 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 dun. I'm like, that's stupid, man. I hate them, okay? So I'm not just like a huge music fan or whatever. But I'm telling you, there's something that happens when I fix my affections and attention on the one that, that put on flesh and stepped off of the throne where he was receiving all honor and power and glory every single day of his life. And he was hearing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he stepped off of that and he came down here on a rescue mission and did for me what I couldn't do for myself. In Luke chapter eight, there's this woman. And I, I don't have time to read it all. But there's this woman. And the Bible says that she is a woman of the city who was a sinner. That didn't mean she like had an apartment downtown. That's not what that means, man. It means she's a prostitute. And Jesus is eating with a bunch of religious people, a bunch of Pharisees. And listen, man, Jesus loved all people. He was for all people. So whether you were a rebel or religious, he would hang out with you and love you. And this girl walks in, this woman of the city, and she sees Jesus and she's not invited. But then she goes and she gets this alabaster jar. It would have been the most expensive thing that she had in her possession. It probably was for her dowry to guarantee that one day she would get married, but because of the decisions that she made, and everybody in that town knows, she ain't ever getting married. And so she takes this thing that would have been her retirement, would have been the, the only thing that would have kept her afloat. And the Bible says she walks in and she breaks it open and she anoints Jesus' head. She anoints his feet. She's overwhelmed and overcome with emotion. She begins to cry to the point where she washes his feet with her tears and then begins to let down her hair, which you weren't supposed to do in the first century. She lets down her hair, and there's nothing erotic going on, but it for sure is emotional. And she wipes off the feet of Jesus. And guess what? There's a group of religious people that are critical. And they're like, what is this? It's a little, little extreme, isn't it? I mean, this person's really into it a little too much. Does she know where she is? And the Bible says they say to themselves, they don't say this out loud, but you don't get to keep anything to yourself when Jesus is around. Do you realize that? They say to themselves, if he, if he really was a prophet, he'd know who's touching him. And then Jesus answers them. He's like, hey, you see this girl touching me? Yeah. She anointed my head, she anointed my feet. What'd you do when I got here? Nothing. Nothing. You didn't anoint my head, you didn't welcome me, you didn't wash my feet, you did nothing. You just sat in your seat and you expected me to sit in mine. But this woman, overwhelmed because she's experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, overwhelmed, she pours out her emotion, she pours out her treasure, and she doesn't care what anybody thinks. Now, here's where it meets the road. Of those two groups, which one describes you at church? Because one of them's team Jesus, because I got run over by the grace train, and the other one's team me because I'm religious enough that I don't have to bow down and do that kind of stuff. And then what's crazy is here's what Jesus says at the end. In Matthew 26, it shares the same story. It says this, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here's what Jesus is, like what I'm doing right now is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus from 2,000 years ago. He's like, look here, religious men. Ain't nobody even gonna know your name. And in Jacksonville, Florida, 2,000 years from now, 
tens of thousands of people in hearing about how we are to worship. She is gonna be the hero and you are gonna be the villain because you are declaring yourself righteous. By definition, therefore, you are self-righteous and you don't worship me because you don't think I'm worth it. But this woman is pouring out her emotion. It's changing her posture at my feet because she knows who I am. You see, I'm gonna tell you, I tell you this all the time, I can't get over the gospel. I just can't get over it. I don't want you to ever get over the gospel. Part of the reason we talk about the gospel over and over and over and over is because the moment you begin to move away from the gospel, you begin to move away from Jesus. You'll begin to think that you, by your own good work, somehow deserve to be in the family of God. And then you'll become like one of these Pharisees, one of these religious leaders. And when we sing, it's an opportunity to humble yourself and to declare, it ain't about me. It's all about you, it's not about me. It's, it's an opportunity to declare, I am so grateful for the gift that you have given me, which, which is, it sure is better than shoes. The gift that you have given me, which is salvation. May we never, ever, ever get over the gospel. There was a guy named Carl Boberg. He was just from Switzerland. He's a pastor. He gets caught in a thunderstorm and thought it was gonna kill him. And when it finally passed and the sun popped out, he wrote a song that in English is How Great Thou Art. Decades later, it got really popular. They were singing it um, all over. Okay. Then there was a missionary that went to the Ukraine. Uh, and his name was Stuart Hine. He shows up in this little town in the Ukraine and he says, are there any believers here? And the people said, there's one couple, there's this old guy and there's this old lady and she can read, she can read, which is super rare then apparently. And so Stuart, this missionary who was trained by Spurgeon, he goes to this house and he's looking for this woman and, this, and, and, he, and he pulls up on him and in Russian, she is sharing the gospel with this group of people that don't know Jesus. And as the guy is about to knock on the door, he hears some of these Ukrainian natives repenting and confessing their sins. And they can't get over the gospel. The way the lady learned how to speak a little bit of English and to read was the Bible that she had. And so she's just sharing the good news with this group of people. And all they kept saying over and over and over was, we, cannot, we can't believe that God would not spare his son for, it, for us. What in the world have we done to earn this? Because there's nothing we could do to earn it. And they're just pouring out their gratitude and pouring out their gratitude and pouring out their gratitude. And so with the song, How Great Thou Art, in the back of his mind, this missionary, Stuart Hine, sits down at the door of this woman sharing the gospel with these people and just begins to jot down the words that they were saying. And this is how we get what we sing is the second verse of how great thou art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. And then parenthetically, he says this, I scarce can take it in. This is Heinz' version of, I can't get over the gospel. And when I think like not just go to church because that's what you do and then you know we're gonna do like three songs and there's gonna be a video and then a talk and then you got one at the end and you've got to get your kids, you hustle out so you don't, you know, and the things and you're thinking that. That's not what he's thinking. 
He's thinking, when I begin to let my mind get around this idea that God sent his son and he didn't spare him. He sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. I can't get my mind around it. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And there's a thing that stirs in you. And that thing that stirs in you is the chorus of this old hymn. Then sings my soul. You don't hum that, man. I mean, how does the soul sing? That's different than Christian karaoke, right? Sing along with the words on the screen. That's not what we're talking about here. That means when you experience the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you begin to think about it and you can't, you can't, you scarce can take it in and you get your eyes fixed on Christ on the cross, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. That's what we're gonna do. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. This song's old, man. But we're gonna sing it in a new way. And I'm telling you, I want you, I dare you to take a step of obedience in the direction of Jesus in regards to worship. For some of you, it would mean move your lips. Sing loud enough to make an audible noise. That'd be cool. For some of you, be get your hands out your pockets. Honestly, by the time we get to how great thou art, every single person in here that knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would do what he says do and lift your hands in the sanctuary. And at the soul level, just say, you are worth it. You are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. Would you please stand, let me pray for you. Our good and gracious heavenly Father, God, we love you more than anything because you love us first. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that could never, ever, ever get over the gospel. That every single time we get an opportunity to gather together because of what Christ has done for us, that at the soul level, we would cry out. We would sing loudly. We would lift our hands. We would bow down before you. We would halal Yahweh, and we would declare how great thou Art, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you did through your son, Jesus Christ. May this be a worshiping church, God. And may you fill us up in here so that we continue to worship with our lives when we walk out of here to do all the things you have called us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna respond. We worship God by bringing our first and best. Hopefully you know how to do that. We worship God. Some of you need to come and bow down like the psalmist says, and every single one of us need to sing to the Lord. Make a joyous noise. Make a loud noise and declare how great thou art. Let's respond.